What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. If I strap my silverware to five-pound weights, will I burn more calories than I eat? Having worn yoga pants for 12 months in a row, I greet the universe with namaste. I look for achievement. I only see worry. Why are my blenders so clear? My triumph so blurry. Sorry. Ack. Sorry. Okay. I want to talk to you about Kathy Comics. She burst into the world in 1976. She's at work, she's out on dates, and she don't like politics. From mama and her urban to her feminist friends. She's fighting all the stanzas with some chocolate in hand. Kathy, she's fighting back. Too stressed for success, let's cut her some slack. My name is Jamie Loftus. I am a comedian and podcaster in that order, by the way. 
and I've created shows like Lolita Podcast, a show about the lingering cultural impact of Vladimir Nabokov's Lolita, and My Year in Mensa, a show about joining the High IQ Society Mensa and accidentally making my life a complete disaster for a year. I'm very excited to be talking to you this summer about Kathy Comics. My favorite fixations tend to be sort of innocuous things that have been floating around in pop culture for a long time that we don't really think about, and that's very much what's going on with the Kathy comics. And as someone who grew up listening to the Kathy comic character be used as shorthand for woman who's stressed, I was really interested to find out if the criticism around this property was valid or perhaps lazy and full of shit. I grew up with a completely warped idea of who this cultural figure was. By the time I was a sentient person, sometime in the 2000s, Kathy was more frequently used as a punchline than as a work that evolved considerably over time. My mom loved Kathy, and I knew I was like legally obligated to think that anything my mom loved sucked. Until I came back to her work now in my late 20s, no one had really challenged that at all. And so I was fascinated when I started to read these comics to find that most of these impressions that I'd formed as a kid seemed more based on the comics advertising and merchandising rather than the actual 34 years of daily content that it produced. There are definitely elements of satire and commentary that never really got the attention that I think that they deserve. Even Kathy Geiswhite has told me throughout the process of making this show that she was initially nervous about me trying to make this show at all because a lot of feminists have been very quick to dismiss her work instead of actually reading and engaging with it over the years. So I get her hesitation, but there's a lot more than meets the eye here. So I ask that you leave your cultural osmosis lazy Kathy takes at the door and let's take an actual look. So let me tell you about Kathy. Kathy was a newspaper comic strip that ran from 1976 until 2010. Every strip was written and illustrated by Kathy Geiswhite, a woman who left her job at the advertising agency she'd worked her way up at in the 1970s, submitted her drawings to the Universal Press Syndicate at the insistence of her own mom, and continued to work at that ad agency until she was sure the comic strip was a hit. And it was a hit. The Kathy strip began when Kathy Geiswhite was only 26 years old, and it quickly grew into a national phenomenon in the United States, peaking in the late 1980s and early 1990s. And that's not for no reason. For many loyal comic readers, Kathy was the first consistent comic strip in the newspaper that dealt with a woman's life, written by a woman, who was also carrying the same name as her creator. The Kathy comic character, while not a direct reflection of her author, shared the traits of being a single working woman in the 1970s who struggles with dating, overeating, work, and her relationship with her mother and friends. Here's how Kathy Geiswhite herself described the themes of the comic in a 1984 piece in the Detroit Free Press. Food. Men eat because they're hungry. Women eat to reward themselves for good behavior and to comfort themselves for pain, sorrow, or because they're bored or excited or tired or full of pep. Any problem can be solved by consuming large quantities of M&Ms, for example. Every woman knows that. Love. Relationships are very confusing to career women. If you're so self-sufficient, why do you feel like you need a man? 
especially an MCP like Irving. Don't know what MCP means. If you prize your independence, how come you want to make yourself vulnerable and dependent upon Irving? Such contradictions in love relationships drive career women nuts and to the Sarah Lee cheesecake box. Mothers. A woman's first and most powerful role model is mom, and mom is frequently quite different from that which the career woman hopes to be herself. We love mom, but we want to be independent and something else. When we find ourselves needing her comfort again, taking her advice and mimicking her in thought, word, and deed, we are miffed at ourselves. We suspect she's pleased. She usually is. Careers. We want it all, as previously noted. Job and home life conflict. What we believe is possible to achieve may seem impossible in the daily reality." Unquote. That context might make it easier to understand why there was so much criticism of Kathy Comics. And it's the criticism of her that seems pretty preserved in amber, at least in terms of how it's been referenced in pop culture in the last 20 years. Whenever Kathy comics come up in pop culture, it's in a very uh, particular way. Seth, the only runs I know about are the ones in my pantyhose. My thighs want out! Ah! One time I fell asleep on the sand, and when I woke up, I was in the tank at SeaWorld. Embarrassment splotches, sweat drops, hot flash, Irving Mondays, ah! This is a Kathy cartoon. Yeah, that cartoon copied exactly what you said the other day. Chocolate, 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 ack! She said every night, every night, the same thing. That's a tad bitchy for a takeout lady. Do you think I'm in a rut? A food rut? I'm sitting home with my cat, ordering the same thing almost every night. The only thing that could make it sadder is if I had a Kathy comic taped to my refrigerator door. Never say Kathy comic to me again. All three of these examples, to me, exemplify the popular image of the Kathy comic. The critics of this comic portray Kathy the character as pathetic, as this caricature of womanhood, a woman who can't lose 10 pounds, a woman who can't get a date, a woman who has an overbearing mother who's too involved in her life well into her 30s, 40s. At some point in the comic, her age becomes kind of ambiguous. At her peak, the Kathy character was as loved by her fans for being terminally stressed out and overextended as she was hated by her detractors for being cringy. And I'm here to tell you that these haters, these detractors, simply have not read enough Kathy comics. Are you going to believe Carrie Bradshaw, rich coming from her, by the way, she's a literal Kathy comic, over someone who spent the entire spring of 2021 reading thousands of acts, two feminist movements worth of acts, seven full presidencies worth of acts? Listener, I ask you, because I have read every single Kathy comic and I really like to talk to people about it. Here's a sample of the people I've interviewed for this show. Comic artists from multiple generations, women in the workforce at the height of the comic's popularity, cultural anthropologists, experts and critics of diet culture, and my mom, saying what their immediate association with Kathy Comics is. Here's what my mom thinks it's about. Well, that's a loaded question because I have so many feelings. Um, that she's underappreciated 
And I always wanted her to work on, you know, be presented better with her self-confidence. I don't know how to say that. She's oh, always aiming to please others and suffering in silence. <laughs> okay, that wasn't helpful. Here's what Kathy Geiswhite says it's about. I think when, when I started doing them, I mean, of course, it was originally just for me to dump my frustrations on paper. But right. it also... I know from doing the comic strip that one thing I can contribute to the world is, uh, uh, <laughs> you know, commiseration, I'll say. So why am I doing this show? Well, first, because I think Kathy as a cultural touchstone is really interesting. The majority knee-jerk reaction to Kathy Cannon is rooted in dismissal, in oversimplification and not the kind of reception you'd associate with the legacy of other long-running, fairly repetitive comic strips. As the years have passed, while some of Kathy's colleagues have ascended to near sainthood, think your Charles Schultzes, and others have become full-on Trump-supporting, NFT-hawking nightmares, think Mr. Dilbert, this popular view of Kathy's work has remained pretty static. I think that Kathy is a symbol of how women's anxieties and concerns can be considered embarrassing or not worthy of discussion if the character in question isn't a perfect role model. Also, I just wanted to make a fun little summer podcast for the girls. Also, I love Kathy. So today, we're going to look at who Kathy was as a character on the newspaper page from 1976 to 2010, and who she's become. Because yes, the Kathy comic strip made a quiet but regular comeback last year on Instagram to document Guy Swite's feelings about the pandemic lockdown. And yes, you may find the Kathy character frustrating at times. And no, you might not like her all the time. And no, it's not the peak of feminist discourse, but it never said it was going to be. That's what Kathy is about. She tries a lot and she fails a lot, and that doesn't make the existence of her work not worth discussing. I think it makes it especially worth discussing. What's included in the comic strip is important. What is left out of the discussion of the comic strip is equally important, and we're going to be discussing it all. So please join me in getting ackpilled. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You take the blue pill, the story ends. You go back to your podcasting app, you turn on the daily or whatever shit you listen to, and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the act pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the Kathy rabbit hole goes. Remember, all I'm offering is the truth, nothing more. I hope that was good. I haven't seen the movie. Okay. Like many people my age and many people not my age, I hold a lot of anger and resentment towards the boomer generation. And Kathy is unavoidably an icon of the boomer generation. And viewed one way, Kathy Geiswhite's work is a day-to-day -day chronicle of a boomer woman over the course of 34 years. And with this boomer womanhood comes a lot of taglines. 
It goes without saying that there are a lot of Kathy comics, and the collections released had titles like Men Should Come With Instruction Booklets, $14 in the bank and a $200 face in my purse. I'd scream except I look so fabulous. Abs of steel, buns of cinnamon. You get the idea. And the taglines sold big time. And I will admit, it is easy and tempting to discuss Kathy as a protagonist who says chocolate, 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 ack, because, well, she does say that. Chocolate, 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 ack! But I think dismissing her entirely as an insult to every woman who's ever existed is a huge mistake. Kathy occupies a pretty interesting place in American history and American feminism. She's a part of a generation of women working full-time to support themselves, the boomers, putting off marriage but still desiring a, a fulfilling and equitable-ish relationship, struggling with whether she wants a child of her own while receiving a lot of external pressure from her mother, who is a member of the silent generation. Women of Kathy's mother's generation were generally not allowed to have careers and had to define themselves primarily through being mothers. Kathy the character was created by a woman who was navigating many, if not all, of these struggles herself, who also happened to win the highest award in cartooning doing it, the Rubin Award for Outstanding Cartoonist of the Year, who also happened to win an Emmy for Outstanding Animated Program for a Kathy special that ran on CBS in the 1980s, who also adopted and raised a child on her own, who got married, who got divorced, and who ended her comic strip in 2010 on her own terms. I grew up aware of Kathy comics, but had basically no idea what they were supposed to be about. There's plenty of daily comics for kids, your Garfield, your Calvinses and Hobbeses, and your family circuses if you're not the brightest. Uh, but Kathy's audience is adults, specifically adult women of that time. Reading it back as an adult now, I kind of get it. I also have a complicated history with food, past and present. I have worried about the role love has in my life, whether it's romantic or with friends or with myself. I don't want to even talk about my mom with you in a public setting. And I feel shitty about work constantly, especially now that my algorithm seems fine-tuned to see my peers just rocketing past me each and every day. I also have a lot of worries that the Kathy comic does not seem to. I have notes for the issues that she chooses to tackle versus the ones she doesn't. But the function of this character is taking very commonly held insecurities for women of that time and saying them out loud in the newspaper every day. And whether you love it or you hate it, no one else was doing that. As we'll be discussing quite a bit in this show, Kathy the character is also a very particular type of woman. She is an upwardly mobile, straight white woman with a steady white-collar office job and a disposable income that would honestly be impressive even without inflation for today's money. She's got a support system through her parents, who are very uh, present in her life, and she's got her girlfriends. She truly embodies someone who feminism in America has traditionally served. She doesn't seem to have friends who are not straight or white, and while she struggles with money, she never struggles with poverty. She's a middle-class white boomer lady, and that comes with significant baggage. 
and it's what a lot of this series is about. Kathy Geiswhite has gone viral on Twitter a couple of times this year when pictures of her in her 20s started circulating. In these pictures, she is a traditionally attractive, thin woman with straight brown hair holding her Kathy comics. Where were you when you found out the lady who made Kathy comics is super hot, one person said. The woman who made Kathy comics was skinny and hot. The comic wasn't a self-insert at all, another person said. Just learned that the woman who drew the Kathy comics was thin and conventionally hot. All right, said a creator I really like five years ago. Now, these were all on Twitter, so this barely needs saying, but these takes are very clicky and more stream of consciousness than actually saying anything. Kathy Geiswhite does look conventionally hot in these pictures from the 70s, yes, but that's obviously operating on a pretty rigid interpretation of hot, and a simple Google would have revealed that Kathy Geiswhite struggled with her weight and body image significantly as a young adult and continued to obsessively monitor her weight and try diets throughout her adulthood. Another Google would have revealed that the Kathy character wasn't intended as a one-to-one insert for its author, and that naming the character after herself was the only way that the Universal Press Syndicate would agree to publish her work at all. So, no, she's not a fraud. It's not a Sunday Funnies PSYOP situation. It's just people on Twitter being unwilling to do a single fact check in their entire lives. I digress. In this case, the shocking revelation is this, that a single press photo from 1978 may not reveal all of the pertinent details of a person's life or career, much less the history of their body or their mind. It's shocking, I know. To me, Kathy is an often frustrating contradiction that feels familiar. She wants to have it all the way she thinks women deserve to, but her attempts to do that leave her feeling unsatisfied and exhausted. She fails constantly. She fails at dieting. She fails at negotiating a fair salary. She fails at establishing boundaries. She fails at loving herself. We were watching a normal woman with a normal body and a lot of insecurities, contradictions, and neuroticisms fail and be made to feel like a failure all the time. I don't think this has no value because it's hard to think of pop culture where I've seen that reflected where it doesn't just resolve in the space of a single comic strip or a single episode. Depending on how you feel, the Kathy comic strip concluding with her getting married and having a baby could either resolve nicely or, as many fans indicated, could be seen as her settling for what she thought she deserved, what she thought that she should want or what others wanted for her. It doesn't seem like the Kathy of the comic strip ever really found herself. So let's set the stage here. I got a chance to look at a funnies page from the day the Kathy comic debuted in the Detroit Free Press. On November 22nd, 1976, here is who she was sharing the page with. Don't worry if you haven't heard of these. There was The Dumplings by Fred Lucky, a comic about a young couple who are very in love, and most of the jokes are about how they're overweight. 
There was Big George by Virgil Parch, with George being a single comic strip husband whose wife bothers him. There was Broomhilda, the green-skinned comic strip witch by R. Myers, who made a big splash in the 70s. There was Dondi by Gus Edson and Erwin Hasen, a strip about a World War II orphan who remained a World War II orphan well into the 1980s for some reason. There was Gasoline Alley by Frank King and Dick Moores, a comic strip that's now been running for over a century and is about, quote, traditional American values, unquote. Try your conclusions there. There was High and Lois by Mort Walker and Dick Brown, a spinoff of the Beetle Bailey strip that was a celebration of mundane white American suburbia. There was The Girls by Franklin Folger, who was a man in a suit, who described his strip as, quote, poking fun at adult women in funny hats, unquote, that ran for over 20 years and was about how rich women with husbands are so shallow. Ugh! There was Brother Juniper by Fred McCarthy, a comic strip about Catholic friars by a Catholic friar. And there was Modesty Blaze by Peter O'Donnell, a serialized story about a femme fatale who was written and illustrated by men for almost 40 years. Are we noticing a pattern here? And then there was the first Kathy comic strip. But before I tell you what happens in the strip, we have to introduce a few people to voice the people in Kathy's life. So... Here they are. This is Kathy, played by Jackie Michelle Johnson. Hi, I'm Kathy. Here's Kathy's on and off boyfriend, who she eventually marries, even though that is annoying to me. His name is Irving, and he's played by Miles Gray. Hi, I'm Irving. This is Kathy's friend Andrea, who's best known for encouraging Kathy to get more involved in the women's movement in the 1970s and 80s. She's played by Melissa Lozada Oliva. Hi, I'm Andrea. Here's Charlene, Kathy's work wife who falls on the other side of Kathy ideologically. She is extremely interested in finding a husband and is often accused of being desperate. She is played by Maggie Mae Fish. Hi, I'm Charlene. And of course, there's Kathy's mother, Anne, who's most commonly referred to in the strip as mom. She's a lifelong housewife who wants her daughter to get married and have children and struggles between being supportive of her daughter's career and modern lifestyle and with her own self-image. She's played by my producer, Sophie Lichterman's mom. Hi, I'm Anne. So the rest of this episode is going to be a look at the Kathy character's life in the strip, beginning on November 22nd, 1976. In this first strip, Kathy is in her 20s. She's standing by the phone, and she's thinking to herself, Kathy, he's hurt you too many times. Next time he calls, just bite your tongue and give him your answer. The phone rings. Kathy seems to literally bite her tongue. In the last frame of the comic, she picks up the phone with a swollen tongue and says, Yes! Kathy! She's funny! Okay, so here's what happens to Kathy over the years. And it's a lot more than you'd think. At the start of the comic, Kathy's in her 20s and in a relationship with Irving that he refuses to define. She has a low-level job at an office called Product Testing Services Incorporated, working door-to-door for a man named Mr. Pinkley, who doesn't respect her or treat her equally. Her friends are Andrea, who lives in the same apartment building as Kathy, and Charlene, the secretary at Product Testing Inc., 
that makes even less money than Kathy does. Early on, Andrea tries to get Kathy involved in second wave feminism by attending consciousness raising sessions with other women and learn to live life without a desire or dependency on men. Kathy, while supportive, is clearly uncomfortable. Welcome to the Women of Today Club. Please repeat our motto after me. I am woman. I, I am woman. I am equal and independent. I am equal and independent. I can survive without men. Are you nuts? In the 70s and 80s, there is a particular focus on this theme. Kathy is torn between the second wave feminism of the 1970s that was pioneered on the liberal end with figures like Betty Friedan of The Feminine Mystique and Gloria Steinem, and on the radical end by figures like student activist Casey Hayden and Mary King. We'll be talking more about this movement in future episodes, particularly its centering of white women. But as far as its effect on Kathy's storyline, Kathy believes that women should be respected as professionals and is doing what many women of her generation did, putting off marriage and children in order to build a career. But she still feels that she doesn't fit into the movement that Andrea is representative of because she still craves male attention and love. Here's how Irving treats her in those early years. You don't need a cigarette, Kathy. Just concentrate on other things. Oh, Irving? Maybe we could do something to take my mind off it. Have a cigarette, Kathy. Because there are other men in Kathy's life besides Irving. While it's never shown in the comic, obviously, Kathy fucks. She fucks, and to think that she only dreams of fucking but never does is to fundamentally misunderstand Kathy. Here are some of her boyfriends that, sorry, she fucks. There's Emerson, a guy who is completely hung up on her, but Kathy is put off by his clinginess. There's also Alex, Kathy's male secretary, who Kathy is attracted to, but she can't get used to the power dynamic of being in charge of a man in the workplace. She deals with this pressure by caving and ends up not giving Alex much to do, which he kind of takes advantage of. There's this guy from the late 70s who tries to take advantage of the rhetoric of the women's lib movement as a way to get someone in bed faster than they're comfortable with. Hey, baby, how about if we... No. Don't you even want to hear the question? No. (laughs) But Kathy, my sweet, this is a new age. There's no right and wrong anymore. No right and no wrong? No, Kathy, there's no ethical standard anymore. Nothing's morally good or bad. No ethics? No morals? There are no rules anymore, Kathy. You can't worry about breaking the rules because there aren't any rules. No rules, no right, no wrong, no ethics, no morals, no rules. This leaves me with only one question, Walter. Where does all the guilt come from? Other guys she dates around this time pull shit like, you can get the check, Kathy, if you want to be equal to me so badly. At work, Kathy starts a class that is consciousness raising for men. It's a play on the women's consciousness raising sessions of the 1970s where women would gather to discuss inequality and organize. At Kathy's session for men, men can learn about the changing roles of women in the late 70s, and she ends up trying to teach them how to do basic cleaning tasks at home to be less useless in that arena. Ultimately, none of the men care, and everyone flunks out of the class. 
a classic Kathy failure. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. From the beginning of the strip, Kathy is in a nearly constant battle with her body image. She always feels that she weighs about 10 pounds too much and has that standard reinforced even by feminist Andrea. 
body acceptance and fat activism was definitely not a prominent component of the second wave feminist movement. And so Kathy struggles with fashion trends and dreads being seen in a bathing suit above all else. And as the 70s come to a close, the Equal Rights Amendment fails, and Kathy hasn't made much progress in her love life or her career, so Kathy gets generally frustrated. The men in her life are frustrated that she wants to be independent, the women in her life don't think she's independent enough. Here's an example, Kathy is standing with Andrea outside in the rain in this strip from 1979. Irving has deserted me, Andrea, and it's no wonder. I've been devoting all my time to my work. I've been too caught up in me. Kathy, this is 1979. You're supposed to be caught up in me. You're supposed to rejoice in me. You're supposed to revel in me. Wonderful. Now I'm stuck with me. Ugh. Okay. Here's a strip from the same year that reflects Kathy's view of herself. I spend 12 hours a day working at a meaningless job for a pathetic salary. I spend the other 12 hours trying to save a floundering relationship from jealousy, boredom, and mutual disgust. I am woman. I have it all. The worst of both worlds. In the early 1980s, there's a lot going on at Kathy's work. She is eventually promoted to a full-time office position where she remains in vaguely middle management for the most of the strip. She's bad with money, but she is financially comfortable. She's firmly upper middle class. She's sickened by yuppies, and yet she aspires to be a yuppie. This is known as the 1980s suburban white woman paradox. In her place of work, a few things of note happen. First, she is sexually harassed by her boss, Mr. Pinkley, after work when he guilts her into letting him into her home and then forces a kiss on her. Kathy is shocked, punches him in the nose. He passes out from her punching him in the nose overnight and he still goes into the office next day and sort of plays it cool as if spending the night at Kathy's passed out from her punching him in the face uh, as if they had sex. Charlene empathizes with Kathy and says that she'll start a whisper network to set the record straight and it's never a problem again. So going back a little here is how Pinkley weasels his way into Kathy's apartment. I appreciate the ride home Mr. Pinkley but you're my boss. You can't invite your boss in for a drink? All my other business associates have me in for a drink now and then. I'd be hurt if you thought so little of our professional relationship that you couldn't even have me in for a drink, Kathy. Oh, okay. Come on in, Mr. Pinkley. Earl. And here's how Andrea reacts when she learns that Kathy has been harassed. Kathy, do you realize that sexual harassment is a power play of the worst kind? Yes! Do you think it's right that millions of women suffer because they're too afraid for their jobs to take a stand against it? No! All right! Then what are you going to do about Mr. Pinkley? I'll show him I'll quit my job! Ah! Wrong! 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 I do better on the yes or no questions. During this storyline, it's never brought up that Mr. Pinkley might get fired for this behavior. At this time, based on how Kathy and the other women communicate with each other, as well as the real-life uptick in workplace harassment in the United States in the 1980s, it's clear that this is an outcome that would make them safer, but wouldn't ever actually happen, to the point where it doesn't even seem worth discussing. This storyline crops up again a couple years later 
when Kathy and Mr. Pinkley have to go on a business trip together, but this time she successfully gets him to fuck off. For reasons we will get to later in the show, Kathy sees the big chill in theaters five times in a row in 1983. We'll put a pin in that. As the decade goes on, Kathy continues to date Irving on and off, but in the Kathyverse, you are canonically considered single until you're either engaged or married. So she's still dating like a ton of people on the side. Maybe they were open. I don't really get it. Uh, there is Paul, who has a kid. There's Bill, who Kathy realizes is hung up on his ex, but she doesn't know how to break things off with him because Bill keeps saying he's definitely not hung up on his ex. She dates a guy named Jake, who she's really into until she realizes he's a self-absorbed 80s Reagan adult business bitch and she breaks up with him. There's Max, who's way too into tech gadgets, which is a continuing theme in the comic because in this rigid gender binary Kathyverse, women hate technology and men use acquiring tech gadgets to avoid expressing their feelings. This is technically gamer girl erasure, but I don't play games and I don't even have a driver's license, so it didn't bother me too much. Then there's a favorite storyline of mine, one that puts Kathy in the Don Draper role. Kathy starts hooking up with her younger assistant, Grant, who is both very hot and very bad at his job. She tries to get off on this power imbalance in the way that a male executive typically would, but she ends up getting annoyed at the fact that Grant is so bad at his job and is using Kathy as an excuse to continue to be bad at his job. She breaks it off, but I repeat, Kathy fucks and younger men are obsessed with her. Andrea gets married in the mid-1980s, marking a distinct point of departure for the comic. In peak Andrea fashion, Andrea schedules herself one week in her supercharged career woman having it all schedule to find a husband and is actually successful at doing this. She meets a guy named Luke on a chat site who is up to her standards and they get married that same year. It's worth saying that it is implied in the comic that Andrea hasn't had sex for maybe 10 years before this happens. But anyways, she has a big traditional wedding and all of her friends comment on how the feminist wants to wear a white dress. Andrea getting married sends Kathy into a tailspin because by the mid 80s, from where she's sitting, she has been encouraged to establish herself in the workplace instead of focusing on relationships as a part of participating in the women's liberation movement. And now the same friends who were encouraging her to do that were starting to settle down. It's an act situation. The back half of the 1980s focuses on Kathy's reaction to the progressive women's movement of the 70s settling in and backsliding into the more conservative Reagan values of the deep 80s and the rampant rise in consumerism and diet culture that came with that. And the babies. The wave of babies in the mid to late 80s threw Kathy and Charlene for a goddamn loop. Here's Charlene on the loudspeaker at work in her capacity as secretary in the mid 80s. Attention all employees, four of our programmers, two of our lawyers, and our entire accounting department are announcing their pregnancies today. Margo, who's lectured us all on the joys of childlessness, has changed her mind. Jan, who's been in therapy for five years because of her mother, has decided to become one. Julie, who's convinced me to call off my engagement because it conflicted with my career, is waltzing around like she's sprouted wings, and Sheila, who... 
Kathy turns off the microphone. Babies make me very emotional. Hee <laughs> hee. It's kind of funny. Then Irving cheats on Kathy because of course he does and he then disappears from the comic for a couple years. Andrea is very much a part of this wave of reproduction, something that Kathy and Charlene initially view, like the marriage, as hypocrisy and betrayal. Andrea overprepares for the birth of her kid in a classically yuppie way. She plays baby classical music and French tapes to her pregnant stomach, only to find that her baby Zenith is pretty overwhelmed by all this attention upon arriving into the world. Andrea goes to the mat fighting for parental leave in her workplace, but ultimately loses in spite of the millions of mothers in this same era facing this exact same issue. Andrea tries to raise Zenith in a gender-neutral environment, but she fails at this too. The toys of the 80s were so extremely binary that she ends up giving up due to lack of options and lack of energy. Kathy, in the meantime, continues to struggle at work and with Irving, but buys her own home and adopts a dog named Electra. Remember when people could just buy homes? I'm kidding, it's not gonna happen. She spends over a week in the comic psyching herself up to ask for a raise at work, but she's only successful in getting a raise that is much less than her male coworkers, and even that is only after her boss, Mr. Pinkley, finds out she's actively interviewing with other places. She starts to date a superior at work this time, a guy named Mitch, but then she finds his personality annoying and breaks it off. I'm telling you, she doesn't give a fuck, she's fucking. It's around this time where Kathy's mom comes into play quite a bit, and we see a series of mom's insecurities be reflected in the comic. Mom constantly bristles with Kathy and Andrea's views on feminism, but she also expresses her own confusion at her role in the world. Starting in the late 70s, mom starts to question her life as a housewife. In the 80s, brings in a series of small businesses that mom starts with her friend Flo in order to give their lives more structure and more purpose. Most of these businesses are somehow tangentially related to Kathy. They start a bodybuilding business to get Kathy in shape. They pivot to muffin making. Then they pivot again to childcare. None of the businesses are successful. And at one point, Kathy's dad gets threatened by mom's latest business scheme, and she has to give it up. In 1988, Kathy makes the only overt political statement of the comic's run. Andrea and her mom friends convince Kathy to canvas for Michael Dukakis. More on this in a bit, but Andrea in particular is a big fan of Dukakis's because of his initial plans to support working parents, mothers in particular. Dukakis loses, and the comic never gets specific in its politics again. By the end of the 80s, Kathy has secured what she was told she needed to secure. She has a steady job that she doesn't like, she owns a home that she's in the hole for, and she has a dog, no notes. Because she is Kathy, she also is struggling with the same body image issues, the same money management problems, and has the same desire for a true equitable partnership. So things have changed, but the expectations of what Kathy should be doing with her life continue to shift. Now firmly in her mid-30s, Kathy and Charlene are constantly trying crash diets and reading self-help books between dates. Irving shows up again and has a midlife crisis, and by the early 90s, they're back together. 
<gasps> Andrea then has her second child and marks the change in time by being much chiller raising her second kid. Here's an early 90s strip between her and Kathy. You named your daughter Zenith and you're naming your son Gus? Different decade, Kathy. When we had Zenith, we were in that whole 80s overachiever yuppie thing, but Gus will be our baby for the 90s. Wholesome, down to earth, a return to simple, honest family values. Of course, we're redoing our home in naughty country pine with heirloom quilts and rustic hand grown pots filled with azalea snip from mommy's organic garden with our stainless steel smith and hawk and gardening shears grown in the rich soil from daddy's sharper image compost maker. Whew! What a departure. I just can't believe we ever used to be so materialistic. In the early 90s, Product Testing Inc. deals with the fallout of the Anita Hill sexual harassment case, mainly through many men in the workplace becoming extremely self-conscious of themselves and their behavior, especially the men who were actually active sexual harassers. Kathy and Charlene kind of roll their eyes at the men panicking because their co-worker's attitude is very, a man can't do anything in the workplace anymore without getting called out, which is just, time is a flat circle. Here's a conversation that Kathy has with Mr. Pinkley, who, I will remind you, has been sexually harassing her for years following the Anita Hill case. Ever since the Thomas Hill flap, employee morale has been in the toilet, Kathy. No, I, I didn't mean toilet. I meant the bathroom. No, I, I didn't mean bathroom. I meant the restroom. No, I meant the ladies' room. No, the women's room. No, th the men's room. No, no, the, the unisex room. No, not unisex. No sex. I didn't mention sex. I didn't say anything. Strike the record. I am innocent. Kathy says, it's okay, Mr. Pinkley. We're all kind of flirting with disaster right now. I was not flirting. No flirting. That wasn't flirting. Instead of doing anything for the women in his workplace, Mr. Pinkley wastes company money to take the men in his office on a warrior's retreat to quote-unquote reclaim their manhood, which, again, was something that actually happened around this time. After this, Charlene gets engaged to her boyfriend Simon, and she is repeatedly judged in bridal stores for being a quote-unquote mature bride. I think she's close to 40 at this point. Kathy is very supportive of the wedding, but now is insecure that she's the only single woman left in her group. Meanwhile, Andrea returns to the workplace after having her second child, Gus. After spending over 10 years building her career to vaguely high-powered 80s executive lady, for context, she was making $60,000 a year in the early 1980s. By the late 80s, things have changed. Having children and George Bush Sr. as a president instead of Dukakis has completely destroyed Andrea's career progression. So instead, she begins working as a temp at Product Testing Inc. at $6.50 an hour. It's infuriating. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does the hard parts for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billings, scheduling, and more with a home management team that provides support before, during, and after your stay so you can focus on the relaxing, hosting, and making memories with family and friends. 
And you can resell on Picasso's Marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. With Picasso, you can stop saying someday and start building family traditions today in a vacation home you own and revisit time after time. Visit Picasso.com today to see thousands of luxury vacation home listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but, like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty. Beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. Here's how Kathy is feeling by the mid-1990s, a full 20 years into the comic. To do, 1955, marry well. To do, 1975, transform the role of women in society. To do, 1995, earn living, buy, furnish, and maintain home, pay all bills, do all laundry, buy all groceries, cook all meals, Locate and marry husband, have and raise children, tone all muscles, rebel against aging, save planet, buy and maintain automobile, fight against evil, take charge of life, go into therapy to regain vulnerability. I am woman. Hear me snore. Kathy then starts dating Alex, her young hot trainer. As I said, young men love Kathy. They love her and they're in love with her. Why don't we ever talk about that? Anyways, Alex. Alex loves fitness and dating Kathy. 
Kathy does not love fitness and is hesitant to commit to Alex at first. She does fall for him after a while until in 1994, he proposes and Kathy turns him down. He leaves the ring with her and asks her to think about it and then comes back with her name tattooed on his bicep. Young men love Kathy. Ultimately, she does dump him and he takes it very well. Here's a conversation from the aftermath of Kathy turning down his proposal with her mom. You couldn't try being engaged to Alex, Kathy. You entitled me with high standards, Mom. You couldn't overlook a few little flaws. You taught me that I deserved the best. You couldn't just give it a whirl. You gave me the values, discretion, self-respect, and patience to wait until the end of time for a man who's worthy of my heart. Never the mother of the bride, always the mentor of the bride. And there's Irving's cue to return. He comes back in the late 90s after a couple years of complete absence from the strip. This time, he's pivoted in his career to be a downsizer, which means that he fires people from other companies as a job. Gross. Here's how he comes back. He is hired as a downsizer by Product Testing Inc., and in his first face-to-face with Kathy in years, he tells her she's been laid off. Fucking Irving. Kathy has to adjust to this and does by beginning her own small consulting company from home. When she goes back to visit Product Testing Inc. later, she learns that a 22-year-old has taken her old position. This becomes a pattern later in the comic. Kathy has a tendency to get annoyed with women younger than her at first, but then realizes that they share a lot of the same anxieties and usually end up making a truce or forming a friendship. Her first reactions to this 22-year-old taking her job is very funny, though. Here's her gut response to meeting her as she speaks with Charlene. She got my job right out of college? Does she know it took me 10 years to create that position? Does she know it took a generation of women to earn her right to have a career? Does she know how hard we fought for what she assumes is her birthright? Ask her, Kathy. Ask her what we all want to know. Then Kathy walks over to the 22-year-old and says, What size pants are those anyway? A size two? (laughs) So Kathy is pretty successful as a one-woman business operation, but she does struggle with the work-from-home life. She gains weight she's not happy about, and she loses touch with her friends. By the end of the 1990s, she negotiates her way back into Product Testing Inc. with a higher salary and position title because guess what? The damn place doesn't run without her. Even as her career reaches this peak, Kathy's self-esteem is at an all-time low. She dates an older guy for a little bit, strictly because she's convinced that that's the only person she has a chance with. Then she breaks things off when she realizes that that was a bit of an overreaction. In 1999, Irving returns to the comic with a broken heart after a woman named Lydia dumped him. He and Kathy rekindle a platonic friendship and seem to grow genuinely closer and build some trust that we hadn't seen in their romantic relationship. Irving's career pivots again and he becomes a Y2K consultant and decides that he wants to be an internet millionaire at the peak of the dot-com boom. And uh, 
it doesn't work out. Kathy thinks that Irving is getting a little too midlife crisis-y for her taste, and he disappears again. In the early 2000s, let's see, uh, Irving and Kathy do get back together and break up again. She goes to her almost fiance Alex's wedding and brings a midlife crisis Irving as a date. Mr. Pinkley gets Botox. There's an obligatory patriotic cartoon, Thanksgiving 2001, because... 9-11. Kathy doesn't understand computers or phones, real boomer content there. Honestly, I think it's the last 10 years of the comic that most closely match this popular criticism. There are a lot of strips in these years that's a lot of women be like this, men be like this. There are diet storylines that aren't as critical of diet culture as they were in earlier decades. There is a lot of chocolate and there is a lot of act. By 2003, Irving has done some work on himself and shows up at Kathy's door, calling himself the king of vulnerability. Kathy gives him shit for it, but it's the first step in them remaining together for the rest of the comic. He pops the question in 04, and in 2005, they get married. I hate Irving. Here's how Kathy Guyswhite introduces this plot point in the last major published collection of Kathy comics, The Wedding of Kathy and Irving. They dated for 27 years, two months, three weeks, and one day. She was devoted. He was a pig. She became enlightened. He remained oblivious. She aspired to goddess. He clung to king. She walked he wooed her back. She came back, he ran away. She studied books, tapes, and astrological charts to understand him. He watched sports. She went to workshops, retreats, psychics, seminars, and shrinks. He took up golf. They survived the most divisive years in history between men and women. They weathered the me decade, the we decade, the information age, the digital revolution, the communication explosion, the militancy of the 70s, the greed of the 80s, the regrouping of the 90s, the humility of the 2000s, at least 9,865 diets, and many, many, many total eclipses of the sense of humor. So, yeah, after 27 years, Kathy and Irving get married. Irving, of course, hates the wedding planning process, always asking really annoying questions like, could someone explain why you get to be a control freak and a victim? Kathy and Irving also struggle with deciding how they're going to combine and negotiate their finances. Everyone in Kathy's life is thrilled about this upcoming wedding, except for Andrea. During wedding prep, Kathy gets back in touch with Andrea after falling out of touch for a good seven or eight years, and they reconnect. This storyline is really, really sweet. Uh, Andrea still hates Irving on principle because Irving sucks, but loves Kathy and agrees to be a bridesmaid. Kathy gets to tell Zenith, Andrea's daughter, who's now a teenager and the wedding's flower teen, how Andrea inspired Kathy to be a better person over the years. This one always makes me tear up. It is Kathy talking to a teen Zenith who she's known and loved since she was a baby. Your mom fought for years against women being viewed as sex objects, Zenith. She worked tirelessly to elevate women's dignity and respect. Because of the sacrifices of your mom, young women like you can have the confidence and personal power. Zenith says, 
to assert my right to show as much skin as I want. Andrea says oof, and Kathy comforts her. Makes it all worthwhile, doesn't it? Kathy Guyswhite felt some kind of way about third wave feminism at this time. We'll get there. A few strips later, Kathy speaks more on her relationship with Andrea to teen Zenith and Gus. I wanted you to be in my wedding, Zenith and Gus, because your mom has had so much to do with making me who I am today. She was my guiding light, my mentor. Because of what I learned from her, I'll be a stronger, more confident, and equal partner for the rest of my life. Zenith and Gus say, Wow, someone actually listened to our mother. Anyways, Kathy and Irving get married and then they buy a house together. Fine. Their house hunt is actually pretty interesting because they're shopping in the housing bubble that is ultimately shorted in the 2008 recession, and that is made very clear based on how out of range the house they get approved for is. The wedding happens, fine. They don't fuck on the wedding night, what? They go on a honeymoon, and then it's literally six months of real estate and move-in comics. Okay, home stretch. Charlene gets pregnant in 2007, and Kathy realizes that she wants to have kids after all. Now in her early 40s, she worries about conceiving. Meanwhile, Kathy and Irving watch Mad Men, 30 Rock, and Heroes. Remember that one? Then the recession happens in 2008, and Kathy and Irving have to reduce their spending after realizing they're in debt. Which means Kathy can't shop as much. The strip doesn't really get into the absolute wreckage the recession caused for families that weren't uh, white and well off, but the theme is explored in the most Kathy way possible. Here is a strip from November 1st, 2008. The first panel is Kathy reading a newspaper. It says, stocks down, bonds down, funds down down, commodities down, confidence down, credit down, sales down, jobs down. In the second panel, she's walking somewhere with her coffee. Only one system in the universe is resilient enough to defy the trend and go in the exact opposite direction. The third panel is Kathy standing on her bathroom scale with a little steam above her head. It says, wait up. It's funny! Irving's mom then moves into the house with Kathy and Irving in 2009. Kathy gets a Facebook and she can't choose a profile picture. Irving has, I think, the fifth midlife crisis. He might just be in crisis. And then the comic starts to wind down and we see these beloved characters for the last time. Andrea's last appearance is really interesting. In 09, she and Kathy meet to catch up over coffee and we learn that Zenith has just graduated college, gotten married, and is going to have a baby. Kathy is shocked and asks if this is somehow against all that Andrea had been fighting for for her entire adult life. But Andrea is very excited to be a grandma. I love it. Here's a slice of their conversation. I devoted my life to breaking down barriers, changing laws, rejecting stereotypes, and opening a new universe of equal opportunities so my daughter could have options I never dreamed of. So when your daughter decided to become a stay-at-home mom right out of college? It's the option I never dreamed of. Wow, you created a true independent thinker. Even success is more complicated for our generation. 
And here is what happens in the last comic strip ever published on October 3rd, 2010. It's Kathy and Irving, who are now married to the horror of everyone except the people in the comic strip. And they're going over to Kathy's parents' house to, well, you'll see. Mom, I, I... Whatever it is, sweetie, Dad and I are here for you. Unless we're too suffocating. Then we'll stand over there. Or Dad could stand here and I could stand over there. Or we could hop around trading places. Or, what am I saying? You don't need us to fix anything. You're an incredible woman from an incredible time for women. Your generation opened doors, demanded chances, raised expectations, transformed society, and exceeded the dreams of every generation before you. You have to know anything's possible. I do know anything's possible, Mom. There's going to be another girl in the world. And I shit you not, a small ack is heard coming from Kathy's apparently pregnant stomach. Mom says, I'm going to be a grandma? Kathy's dad says to Irving, Buckle up, son. Irving says, Want to see the ultrasound on my iPhone? And with that, Kathy comic strip concluded. In the newspapers, anyways, for 10 years. In 2020, as you are certainly aware, there was a massive lockdown across the world due to the coronavirus that, as I write and record this, continues to affect the entire world. It was at this time, after 10 years of silence in the funny pages, and a year or so after releasing her book of essays called 50 Things That Aren't My Fault, Kathy Geiswhite's Instagram began to post the first consistent Kathy comics in a decade. So there was this little media burst around Kathy, but here's what's interesting to me about the comics. These new Kathys were only one panel at a time, and there is no Irving, no daughter, and they were firmly rooted in the present during the pandemic-induced lockdown. There had been sporadic one-panel comics posted to Guy White's Instagram since 2018, occasionally featuring Electra the dog or Kathy's mom. Many commented on something happening in the news. One supported the March for Our Lives following the Parkland shootings. Another shows Kathy with a box of tissues and a flag with a heart on it, the day that Christine Blasey Ford gave her testimony about Brett Kavanaugh. One shows support of the Time's Up movement. One encourages people to vote in the midterms. One is a PSA about climate change. But it's during the pandemic that these comics became nearly daily. There's one of Kathy and Electra gazing out their window peacefully, labeled church. There were references to the toilet paper shortage. There were jokes about Zoom. There were reminders to wear a mask, anxious eating, and so on. Irving isn't there. The little act emanating from Kathy's womb in October 2010 never materializes. And that, at least at the time of this release, is Kathy canon. Maybe you're surprised at the amount of things that did happen during this comics run. Maybe it's not enough for you, but it's a lot and a lot more than I expected. As I was going through these thousands and thousands of pages and comic strips, one thing really stuck out to me, and it's that the women of Kathy lose. They fail a lot. And this might be something that isn't immediately clear unless you read strip after strip, 
not really the way any comic was meant to be enjoyed, and because I am scary, how I consumed it. Sometimes these women lose because of their own human frailties. Other times they lose because the system is pitted against them or they don't have the tools they need to be successful. What the comic is to me is a lighthearted exploration of one character's experiences failing and being failed and how she reacts to it. Even if it's not your cup of tea, this is really singular for this time. Kathy might not be clinically depressed because she's a boomer lady and doesn't believe in therapy for the majority of the comic strip, but she's very weighed down by the expectations that came with being alive when she was. That weight, not the thigh weight or whatever the fuck, that emotional weight is where I feel most connected with her. The weight of her anxiety that she isn't living correctly ends up preventing her from really living at all. There's a lot to talk about here. What Kathy gets right, what Kathy gets wrong, what Kathy leaves out, what she says about the generation and the lifestyle she represents, and how the backlash against her was extremely questionable. The Kathy character we see now exists basically out of context. Finding a new life as a punchline on Twitter, but the reality of the character is far more interesting. In some ways, the character's presence shook up the funny pages in a very unprecedented way, and in others, it upheld a status quo that some people found infuriating. For this show, I'll be speaking with a number of cartoonists who are currently working in the autobiographical comic space as it has grown far beyond the funnies. And we'll also take a look back at how it even became possible for a woman to have a widely syndicated comic. We'll learn more about what was going on in the women's movement as Kathy was being released, how diet culture became so pervasive in the time this strip was on the pages, and more. So now you know what the character does, but who is more interesting to me, and in many ways more emblematic of her generation, is Kathy Geiswhite herself. So we're going to learn all about her and talk with her next week on ACCAST. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Asking the right questions can greatly impact your future, especially when it comes to your finances. So if you're looking for a financial advisor you can trust, certified financial planner professionals are committed to acting in your best interest. That's why it's got to be a CFP. Find your CFP professional at letsmakeaplan.org. Are you looking for the perfect move-in ready home this spring season? Now's the time to buy at Fisher Homes. For a limited time only, enjoy below market interest rates starting at 5.375% APR, 6.139% APR. With these exclusive lower rates, you can save hundreds on a move-in ready home and start enjoying the benefits of home ownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with one of our new home specialists at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home. Financing provided by Victory Mortgage, LLC, NMLS 461249, Equal Housing Lender. 
We went from normal life, healthy child to acute lymphoblastic leukemia or B-cell ALL. The St. Jude team came up to get CJ via ambulance. Shortly after that, I noticed a rainbow. It meant that there was hope. We were driving into hope. To have hope is to have your child healthy, and we have that because of St. Jude. You can help kids fight childhood cancer. Please become a St. Jude Partner in Hope today by visiting musicgives.org. Do you love fashion? Do you love getting compliments on how well you're dressed? Are you always seeking the latest trends? Then we're talking to you. BostonProper.com is your fashion destination and the only place to go for all those nods, head turns, and new styles. No matter the day, season, or occasion, Boston Proper has what you're looking for. Sophisticated, confident clothing designed to flatter and get noticed. So visit BostonProper.com now and start creating your perfect wardrobe. Boston Proper. Wear it like no one else.